You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL across the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can find all of our content on our Facebook page. We are redoing the websites, so just remember uh, that is not going to update, but we do post everything on our Facebook page. It's all there for you on iTunes, at Spotify. If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode of Locked on Packers. And if you want to be a part of the show, if you want to ask a question or leave a comment, you can do that at the Locked on Packers fan hotline at 920-341-3775. As promised, Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports is on the show today. We'll get to him a little bit later. We're going to talk injuries before we get to Chris. A little bit more Bills breakdown. Um, and and I also thought it would be fun because we had Chris on around draft time. I think you're going to be really interested to hear what he thought of the Packers cornerbacks pre-draft. And I, that that I had forgotten about because I, I hadn't been keeping tabs on those two particular players, Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, in terms of what he thought of them until he mentioned it. So I, I think you'll you'll be interested to hear. Uh, it's it's particularly apt because we don't know the status of Kevin King, and so Josh Jackson and Jair Alexander are going to have to play a key role on Sunday against Josh Allen, and a pretty uh, not even pretty, a thoroughly uninspiring Bills receiving group that is that is potentially less potent without arguably its best player, its best pass catcher, certainly its most, most well-rounded uh, skill weapon, not named LaShawn McCoy, and that's Charles Clay, who's who's been dealing with the hip injury and is questionable for Sunday. But Kevin King is questionable. They shouldn't need Kevin King for this game. They really shouldn't. Uh, the guys that they have should be enough. And frankly, that's that's just because the receivers are not very good. And the offensive line is not terrific. Um, LaShawn McCoy was limited. If he can go, that would be a big boost for Buffalo. But this is not a good offense. And it is hard for me to believe that they're going to be able to score enough points to stay with Green Bay on the road. But if they're able to create turnovers, if Green Bay is not able to protect Aaron Rodgers, then... That would create some openings for Buffalo, especially with Jerry Hughes, given the way that he played. But here is the thing. We do this show on Fridays in the afternoon for a reason. With the injury report out, what we found out was Brian Bulaga was taken off the injury report, which is to say there is no expectation of the injury being a problem for him Sunday. He is a go. So having both of their offensive tackles, their preferred offensive tackles, is a huge lift for the Green Bay Packers, particularly in light of Justin McCray likely being out on Sunday, barring a you know semi-miraculous turnaround with a shoulder injury. Byron Bell is going to start at guard, and that is what uh, Mike McCarthy says he's comfortable doing. 
and I, I think they should. This is not the this is not the strength of the of the Bills. Um, they do have some quality defensive linemen, Kyle Williams, Star Latulale, um, but they don't have Marcel Darius anymore. Who, when he was motivated and at his best, was maybe the best interior player uh, in that division, and it's just no longer that um, because he's not there anymore. And so, you know, I think I think Green Bay is going to be able to run on this team a little bit. Aaron Jones is going to get more carries. Um, and I think what will be interesting to see, and I mentioned this on Twitter, and, and longtime listeners of the show are going to recognize this, longtime followers of me on Twitter are going to recognize this, Randall Cobb had a hamstring injury pop up this week. And I just, before you react to, oh, he had such a bad game and now he's hurt and, and blah, blah, blah. No one is more accountable on this team than Randall Cobb. No one is more respected among his teammates than Randall Cobb. And no one feels worse about what happened last week with the drops and the fumbles than Randall Cobb. It will kill him to not be able to play Sunday if he can't. He didn't practice on um he didn't practice early in the week, went from limited to not practicing, and that's not great. But what this may force Mike McCarthy to do is put Ty Montgomery and Aaron Jones in the game at the same time, which is what I have been asking of them. Put them both in the pistol and let Rodgers work because you can split Ty out, put him in the slot, put him on the outside. You can put them both in the backfield and run some stuff out of that. There are just so many ways you can use them and so many ways that you can attack defenses with them both on the field. I think also when you watch the Rams on Thursday night and you watch that offense, um, I got this note. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Hey, this is Sherry from New York, but stuck in Florida. Question. Watch the Rams last night. Amazing offensive display. They have Goff. We have Rodgers. Can the Packers offensive, can the Packers offense produce points like the Rams offense? We have Rodgers. Why can't the Packers score touchdowns with the same proficiency? Do we need a new offensive coordinator? Maybe. Uh, that the maybe was in her question. Um, uh, this is something that I've tried to, to point out on the show all week. It's something that I've tried to point out on Twitter all week, especially after going back and watching the Washington game. The scheme is not the problem. This Packers offense is never going to look like the Oregon Ducks offense with Chip Kelly and Marcus Mariota. It is never going to look like the Baker Mayfield Oklahoma offense. It's never going to look like the Sean McVay offense. It just it doesn't work like that. No, but that doesn't mean it can't be really good. I said this to someone on Twitter the other day. Oh, you you don't remember 2011? You don't remember 2014? You don't remember the run the table stretch in 2016? This offense has always been a good offense. They're always, when Rodgers plays a a majority of games, they're a top five offense. They're going to score 30 points if everyone's healthy. And they're a threat to do that every week. Now, they didn't execute against Washington. There were plays there to be made, and they didn't make them. But it was it was not that, oh, the scheme was not putting them in a position to succeed. There were guys running free all over the field, and the running game worked. Part of the problem was the defense made them one-dimensional because they, they allowed so many first-half points, and the offense just couldn't find a rhythm. And so that is why it is such tremendous news for this team that Aaron Rodgers practiced on Thursday— Because that is essential 
for the continuity and the evolution of this offense. Mike McCarthy said it on Wednesday. He said, Rodgers is the straw that stirs the drink. He's the guy that sets the tone for practice. And you can't evolve if he's not there. You can't grow if your quarterback, your starting quarterback, your all-world quarterback is not in there with practice. And you say, is practice important? Well, Mike McCarthy said it very beautifully. He said, if we didn't think it was important, we wouldn't do it. And that sounds like coach speak, but when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. How could this offense evolve and get better and find that continuity with some new players? Jimmy Graham is new. Aaron Rodgers has not had a full season with Aaron Jones and Jamal Jamal Williams. And Justin McCray has not been a preferred starter at right guard before. And Mercedes Lewis has not been a part of this team. And they have the rookies to try and, uh, you know, acculturate and, and integrate into this offense. But having Rodgers on the field aids in all of that because he is the guy that gets everyone on the same page and he is the guy that sets the tone. And so having him there and getting everyone on the same page, Devontae Adams is a star. Geronimo Allison looks like he might be a star. And they're starting to find ways to use Jimmy Graham. I think you're going to see them use two tight ends more against Buffalo, especially with Randall Cobb out. I would love to see them integrate some of the rookies. Let's get Equinemia St. Brown active and get him five, six, eight snaps with the offense. Let's let's get Marquez Valdez-Scantling out there for 30 or 40 reps with the offense. Get him some snaps and, and let them grow because if Randall Cobb, who's in the final year of his contract, isn't a long-term option on this team, then they need to get some of these other guys ready. I think the biggest indication that the Packers plan to bring Cobb back long-term is they haven't even thought about using any of these young receivers. So that that's either bad planning or that's just Mike McCarthy being stubborn, and it could be a little bit of both. But the reality is I think what Randall Cobb being out will do for this offense is meaning it will mean more touches for Aaron Jones. It could potentially mean more reps split out for Ty Montgomery, and we don't have to worry about the receiver versus running back distinction there. He's going to be a weapon, and you're going to be able to. You're going to. Green Bay is going to have to find ways to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. With Randall Cobb out, that should elevate the roles of guys like Ty Montgomery and Aaron Jones. And when it comes to the explosiveness of that of this offense, that is a really good thing. Now, my picks in the picks pool, it hasn't been going well. Not well at all. I'm I'm 27 and 20 right now, straight up. Um, I'm much worse against the spread so far, but the you know data is early. I use a lot of analytics when I'm making these picks, and the numbers are unreliable early in the season because they're small sample sizes, and a lot of it is based on projection. But if you think you know who's going to win, if you have a hunch, go to my bookie. Remember, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, which is why I tell you about my bookie. They've been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Unlike some sites where you have to wait to get your payout, when you use MyBookie and you win, they pay fast. They've got live in-game betting, player props. If you can think of it, you can bet on it at MyBookie.ag. The thing is, right now, MyBookie is so slammed with new bettors. They want to give everyone the best customer service they possibly can. So if you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight, they'll give you an additional $25 in free play on deposits over $100. 
Join now and MyBookie will match that first deposit dollar for dollar. Plus, when you use the promo code LOCKDOWN25, you'll get that extra $25 in free play. That's MyBookie and the promo code LOCKDOWN25 to get a dollar for dollar deposit match up to $1,000 plus that $25 in free play. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's get to Chris Trapasso. He is an NFL Drafts writer for CBS Sports. He also covers the Bills for the Buffalo News. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Trapasso, 1P2S's, T-R-A-P-A-S-S-O. Chris, thanks for coming back on Locked on Packers. Thanks for having me again, Peter. I, uh, I appreciate you coming back to talk about actual NFL football this time. Last time we talked about the NFL Draft, which was great, and... I want to get your thoughts on that a little bit later, but let's start with one of your your other purviews, and that is the Buffalo Bills. And, and we've had a, a couple conversations so far this week about Buffalo, but I have to tell you, going back and watching the game on Sunday in Minnesota, I was really impressed with what I saw from Josh Allen. And a lot of the stuff was was built in, and I get that, but he made some stick throws to the sidelines. He showed a lot more touch than I thought he had. Uh, this was not the guy that we saw at Wyoming, at least as far as what I saw at Wyoming. Yeah, I think when Josh Allen isn't under pressure consistently throughout a game where he feels like he's always going to be under pressure, he can actually be pretty accurate from the pocket. And the Vikings only pressured him nine out of his 30 dropbacks. I think Everson Griffin not being on the field was you know, partially um, – why that happened, but I mean, this was one of the better defensive lines in terms of its depth in the NFL, and they were not really able to get pressure on him. So he stood in the pocket, was very patient. Um, he was a lot more decisive than he was in his first two appearances in the NFL. Um, it wasn't perfect. He may have left a few pockets a little bit early, but I agree that I was impressed and, and didn't think he would be to this point this early in his career. The other thing that that kind of jumps off the screen a little bit is I knew he was athletic, but I didn't know he was outrun Anthony Barr to the pylon and hurdle Anthony Barr on another play athletic. That I mean, that was that was really eye opening for me. Yeah, he did have one of the better combine performances of the bigger quarterbacks over the last five to ten uh, years. He's not Cam Newton, but he's somewhat close to that and more so than his athleticism and he showed this a lot at Wyoming he's willing to you know try to hurdle one of the game's best linebackers or dive for a first down he did that a lot in college um and I think at this point the Bills have kind of told him you know we want you to be decisive get the ball out and certainly scan and and try to read through your progressions but if you're not liking what you're seeing don't be afraid to take off and run He's just under six foot five. He he ran a four five or four seven five at the combine. He had a three cone under seven seconds, which is just a pretty good indicator of of someone that does have some of that twitchiness, um, mm-hmm. some of their skill set. So I think what we saw in Minnesota was a pretty good game plan and pretty well executed from Josh Allen. I think Randall Cobb had a three cone over seven seconds. So that just gives you an understanding of the kind of athlete that Josh Allen is. Uh, the other thing that, that really stood out is the Bills receivers are not good. And yeah. they, they left some plays on the field, some drops. I mean, there were a couple throws that, that Allen put right on the money and they just, they didn't have it. And beyond Calvin Benjamin, I mean, I was, I was joking with someone the other day, 
that that this Bills depth chart after Kelvin Benjamin could be you could play the game um, Bills receiver or Ozark's character because it's just <laughs> like who who are these guys? Yeah, I mean, it is certainly I think I mean a lot of publicity is kind of going for the lack of talent in the Cowboys receiver group, and I think that's just because the Cowboys are more of a marquee team. But you're right, it's Kelvin Benjamin. Andre Holmes, Zay Jones, who's been very disappointing uh, in his first season, plus three games um, after being a second-round pick that the Bills traded up for. Andre Holmes made a few nice grabs, um, but he's not someone that's ever going to really threaten a defense. Then they have undrafted free agent Robert Foster, who was not very productive at Alabama. He is a 4-4-1 guy, and I think that's kind of why he made the team. he dropped a, a pass that was right in his hands down the field from Josh Allen later in that game. So I think he's mostly on the team because he's about six, two and can run that four, four one, but his hands are not really reliable. And then Ray Ray McLeod is a rookie. That's kind of a gadget uh, screen reverse type wide receiver. So I think what you saw against Minnesota and I just talked about this in terms of the game plan a lot of screens a lot of tight end usage that I think the Bills know that they don't have that good of a receiver group or probably the worst in the league a lot of back shoulder (laughs) throws to Calvin Benjamin this is not a you know receiver reliant offense right now yeah while I have you here and we're talking quarterbacks a little bit let's uh let's deep dive into the Packers roster just a little uh and and we don't even have to go into anyone that's playing I want to start with where you were on Deshaun Kaiser coming out of Notre Dame? Um, I was actually a little bit lower on him than the general consensus. I mean, I think there were a lot of parallels between Kaiser and Josh Allen and that they were the classic case quarterback, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 230 plus pounds, very big arm. But under pressure, I didn't really like Kaiser. And I thought even from clean pockets, his accuracy would kind of go haywire a little bit. Um, I'm pretty sure I had him as the fourth or fifth quarterback in that draft class two years ago. A lot of people had him or some people had him as the best quarterback or, you know, um, right behind that trio of Trubisky and Watson and Mahomes. I thought he was kind of a step behind them, a clear, you know, step lower than them, so to speak. Um, But he's someone that I think in Green Bay, under Aaron Rodgers' tutelage, under Mike McCarthy's tutelage, could become a good quarterback if you believe that a quarterback can kind of sharpen his tools at the NFL level. I don't really believe in that. I think strengths stay strengths and weaknesses stay weaknesses, but that's certainly a quarterback room in a situation that could kind of tap in to his unlimited potential. Let's stay on that side of the ball because I know that you were you were really high on what Green Bay did in the draft, uh, specifically because of what they got with their first two picks. Yeah, I had Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson as my number one and and my number two cornerbacks. What's so interesting about them and what kind of made that ranking so difficult is that they're different kind of cornerbacks. That Josh Jackson only Definitely. had one year production at Iowa, um, but he is a a zone corner who can just get his hands and will get his hands on a lot of passes. He had eight interceptions at Iowa last season. Um, The game against Ohio State where they really trounced the Buckeyes, he made two ridiculous interceptions that really showed his catch radius. And I think actually his type of cornerback, the zone corner, is actually increasing in value with just the NFL really locking down in terms of the penalties that they call on corners that try to press and be physical with receivers. Um, so I think they're, he might be a little bit more of a project, but I don't think he's someone that 
will take two or three years to be good. I think maybe half a season. And then once he's kind of into the, you know, October, November, December, I think that's when we'll start to see some production out of him. And Jair Alexander, um, we were talking about combine stuff with, with Josh Allen. If you look at his measurements and his figures at the combine, almost identical to, to Odell Beckham Jr. So that just gives you a good idea of how wow. athletic he was. And he's a man-to-man guy. He's a zone guy. I thought his mirroring skills, um, you know, he was just in the hip pocket of any wide receiver he faced. He got his hands on a lot of footballs because he can really plant and drive on those comeback routes or in-breaking routes. So he's someone that I thought, despite his injury – which is maybe why he dropped a little bit in the draft. Um, he was someone that was a complete cornerback. If he was an inch or two taller, he probably would have gone where Denzel Ward went at, at number four. But with the injury and the fact that he was a little bit shorter, that's probably why the Packers were able to get him where they did. And then just to trade back and to get that extra pick and still land Joshua Jackson, I think was a home run by the Packers front office. Now, the, the equation may have changed moving forward. I wrote this um, in August that I thought, well, okay, so Josh Jackson, a little bit more of his own corner. He's got the ball skills. Doesn't, you know, the one question was, does he have the deep speed to play cornerback? Maybe if the if the Packers cornerback room is as deep as we think it is, maybe he could be a safety. And now Kevin King played really well early in the year, but now he's a little banged up. So they signed Bashad Breland, a very good young physical corner. You add him to Jair Alexander. What do you think of the idea of saying, well, let, let's see Josh Jackson as a safety because they already really like him covering in the slot, covering tight ends. Could that be a fit? Yeah, I think so. Um, and kind of like you mentioned, just with with what they've done with their cornerback depth chart, and they have Kevin King, they have Breland now, who's mostly a man-to-man guy, and obviously Mike Pettin asks his cornerbacks to play more man than most defensive coordinators do, um, and there's certainly a, a hole at safety on this Packers roster right now, or in need of an upgrade. I think you're right in that he doesn't necessarily have to just be a free safety that's well off the ball, although I think he could really thrive in that area. You do ask your safeties in today's NFL to cover tight ends, to cover the slot, and Jackson can do that. I just want him with his eyes on the backfield to let him read quarterbacks, read route concepts, and break on the football and use that huge catch radius that he has and his ball skills and let them really shine in that type of role. Yeah, I mean, you hit you hit it right on the head. His reaction abilities mixed with his ball skills, it just seems like, I don't want to say a no-brainer because obviously cornerbacks are tremendously valuable, but it does seem like Jair Alexander, he has played really sticky this year. And Kevin King, when he's on the field, he was really good. And we know Bashad Breeland can get it done in man-to-man. I, it just seems like something worth exploring. They probably won't do it this offseason or this season. It would have to be a, a project for the offseason. But I, I do wonder if that's something that that happens moving forward. Uh, let's just get back to this game for a second. How do you, I mean, looking at it, obviously the Packers are basically a double-digit favorite. You know, what are you what are you looking for? You don't have to give me a prediction, but what is a matchup that you're really looking for? I mean, what are you what are you going to be watching for in this game on Sunday? I think the biggest one on one matchup um, will come when the Packers have the ball with David Bakhtiari against Jerry Hughes. I mean, you said you watched the all 22 of, of Bill's Vikings and Jerry Hughes just completely manhandled Riley Reef all game. He had 13 pressures, a sack, 
two quarterback hits. He was unreal. Yeah, and 10 pressures. He was just – his speed, his bend off the edge was as good as I've seen it since he's come over to Buffalo from Indianapolis. He's been, you know, probably the Bills' most reliable defensive player um, and most durable defensive player over the last three or four seasons. But he just looked totally refreshed, um, and he can use a bull rush really well. He has a few pass rushing moves, but he's really kind of that speed to power rusher. And obviously, David Bakhtiari is, I've tweeted um, over the offseason that I think he's the most underrated offensive lineman in the league, one of the best pass blocking um, left tackles in the league, a little bit smaller. Jerry's a little bit smaller. So I think that individual matchup, if Jerry Hughes has a field day, I think that will lead to some problems for the Packers offense. And if if Bakhtiari can kind of keep Hughes at bay, I think that'll give Aaron Rodgers a lot of time to scan the field and find open receivers. So that's a big one at, at two premier positions with two premier players um, that I think will have a, a major factor on this outcome. I love it. I really do. It's, it is. You're absolutely right. Uh, the matchup to watch. And if there's a number two and it, and it frankly should be no number two to anyone, the Trey White Devontae Adams matchup should be a ton of fun to watch when we get that. Um, I'm anxious to see how much they actually mirror with Trey White. Uh, he did it a little bit against uh, Stefan Diggs. So I'll, I'll be interested to see. I mean, Geronimo Allison is no slouch. So it's not like if if he's matched up against Allison, who, by the way, leads the Packers in receiving and touchdowns, uh, that, you know, that that's not something that the Bills would want. But when we get Adams versus White, that's going to be fun, too. Yeah, definitely. And they're two of the game's younger, um, just twitchy, um, you know, athletes at those two positions. And I was talking about Jair Alexander earlier. I think Trey White's pretty similar to him in that he's not just a zone corner. He's not just a man-to-man guy. He's probably a little bit better in zone, but his reactionary skills are elite, I think. He was my number one cornerback in the 2017 draft. He's not a physical specimen. He's not 6'2". He's not 200 pounds, um, but he's just someone that can mirror pretty well and that when the football's in the air, he always, seemingly always finds it and gets his hands on it. And certainly Adams has kind of blossomed into a, you know, yards after the catch, contested catch type of wide receiver. So he has a very well-rounded skill set, and I think Trey White does too. That's another one that will, you know, really determine this outcome of this game on Sunday. So the the number one corner on your board the last two years, they're both going to be playing in this game on Sunday. That's pretty cool. Correct. All right, Chris, let my audience know where they can find more of the work that you do. They should already be following you on Twitter, but let let them know what's up. For anything uh, that I write about the NFL draft, you can find it on CBSSports.com and anything Buffalo Bills um, on BNBlitz.com, which is part of the Buffalo News. Great. Chris, thanks for joining Lockdown Packers once again. All right, Peter, thanks for having me. All right, I want to thank Chris again for joining the show, for coming back on the show. Top two corners in the class. And the top two corners of the last two classes are going to be on the field for Chris uh, on Sunday. So it it should be a a fun test for Tredavious White against Devontae Adams. And it'll be maybe a little bit less of a test for Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson. Although where they line up is going to be a fun thing to watch in this game. How are they going to defend this Buffalo offense I think that's a reasonable question. As I said to Chris, you know, I I thought they would do it a certain way against the the Bears, and they did the exact opposite, and it worked. 
So are they going to let the Bills run and say we're not going to we're not going to have you beat us passing the ball? Or are they going to say we're going to put eight in the box and and dare you to beat us passing because we don't think you can? I think those kinds of uh, decisions are going to be made week to week. I don't I don't think you're going to ever pin Mike Patton down. So I like the Packers this week, something like 28-14, I haven't quite decided if I think they're going to cover the spread. I think it's going to be close. Um, to covering. I don't think it's going to be a close game. I think the Packers win, and I think they're going to cover. I think, yeah, I think 20, 28, 14, 27, 17. So depending on where you're getting your line, 9.5, 10, it's going to be right in there. Vegas knows these things, guys. That's why, that's, that's why they build resorts in the desert. They don't build them because they lose. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. All of the podcast content on our Facebook page. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss one on iTunes, on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. And if you ever want to get in touch with the show, you can do that at 920-341-3775. The Vikings lost on Thursday. The Bears are going to be in a tough game with Tampa on Sunday. Green Bay could be back in first place by the end of Sunday with a win against Buffalo. So, And then it's the Lions the following week in another divisional game that that Green Bay needs to win to not just get back on track, but keep that track moving in the right direction. We'll be back next week to talk about the Bills game and move forward to that Detroit game. So you need to stay, as always, Locked On Packers.